blessing them. It's a blessing when we risk and do that. Yeah, so uh, speaking of risk, if you haven't met us, I'm Jonathan, this is Reagan, we're married, and we uh, work as pastors here and serve some amazing people, and we're risking doing something together. We're talking today about I, thou, hear me better. We're talking today about singleness and marriage. This summer we've been talking about emotionally being emotionally healthy people and we just hit us that you know there's and I just I may end up single after this message actually. There's, there's so many minefields I could step in. <laughs> I don't know but um, we emotionally emotional health has a lot to do with who we are as in our singleness or in our marriedness and and also the whole aspect of sexuality we're just we're not going to go into too many details but this this all touches on all these things touch touch on the, they're connected and really at the core of who we are as people the way God made us as has his image bearers as people made in the image of God in Genesis 1 when it, God created people it says he made them in his image Male and female, he created them. And so our maleness and our femaleness is an essential part of who we are as people and how we bring that into life and into our interactions with others is an essential part of, of who we are. And so the both, both singleness and marriage are designed to be gifts. Now, that may, you may be single and be like, oh, this doesn't feel like a gift to me right now. I wish I was married. Or you may be married, and you're like, oh, this doesn't feel like a gift to me right now. <laughs> I wish I was single. But both of these are designed as, as God-given gifts. And in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, the Apostle Paul is talking, and he says, I wish that all of you were as I am. And he's talking about his singleness. He was a man who was, was single. And he said, I wish, actually, this is such a good thing. I wish all of you were like me. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. And so he's saying that gift, it's, the Greek word is charis. It's the word that charismatic comes from. It's the word that grace comes from. It's a gift is an endowment of God's supernatural grace that comes to a person. So we may think of gifts of, of uh, prophesying or faith or these spiritual gifts that you can only do if God enables you. Well, that's how it's designed to be our Marriage or singleness is designed to be something we can't do on our own, but God graces us to do it the way he wants us to. And, but there's little that exposes where we're at emotionally as much as the, the questions and the insecurities and the yearnings and the longings and pain that is tied up into marriage and singleness. Is that true? I mean, it gets to like, oh, man, what, who am I and how do I really feel and what's going on? It's all tied into being married or being single. It's, it's all connected sexuality. It's very much all intertwined. And so there's a certain approach that we really want to lay as kind of the overdrop or backdrop of everything this morning. And it's what's called an I-thou perspective or an I-thou approach. And so Reagan's going to kind of explain what that is. And this morning, we're going to cover a lot of ground. She's going to kind of lay this background of this I-thou approach to relationships. And then we're going to walk through how that has some application to singleness and some application to marriage, um, but all from this perspective of I-thou. 
We're first going to talk about the I-that-I-it interaction. And I think most of us are really familiar with this. I'll tell you a story that, like, describes what this is. So I was, um, many years ago, I think, like, Adam, Anna, and Cade, our first three children were really small, and every chance I would get to go out of my house was, like, an adventure and fun, because normally I was home, you know, stuck with kids, so... One day I went to Target. It was like, I get to feel human. I'm going to Target. And so I went to Target, and this l I was in the near the checkout line, and this lady like was suddenly in my face, and she was like, you have the most beautiful eyes. I can't believe it. Like, oh, your eyes are so gorgeous. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, that is so sweet. Here I am feeling, like, really vulnerable. I'm a new mom, and, you know, my life is made of throw up and, you know, wiping bottoms, and you're, you're complimenting me. And then she whips out this card, a business card, and she's, it basically was her business card for her makeup company, and said, I would love for you to come over and we can, you know, dress up those eyes with makeup, and I'm like, <laughs> I suddenly felt so used. I felt like an it. So, it's the I-it interaction is treating somebody like an it. Like, I suddenly became her goal to make money. And um, this is how we treat people like objects, a thing to be utilized. It's like, what can you do for me? You're an it. Um, and then we become, like, objective observers in our world when we treat other people like it's. We're not engaging in the world. We're just kind of stepping back and wanting the world, everybody else, to provide an experience for me, right? Like, I was suddenly an experience to make money for her. I was not a person with value. I was an it. Um, so when we approach, when we engage with people like that, um, it leads to alienation and meaninglessness for ourselves. So that's the I-it interaction. The other interaction is the I-thou interaction. And thou is kind of one of those words we obviously don't use very much. It's another word for you. But um, it's approaching the other person as sacred. And that person is made in God's image. They're an image bearer of God. And it's relationship-based. It's not experience-based. It's two people coming together, having a relationship. It leads to self-giving, where I'm giving myself to you, not like, what can you do for me? And it also leads to a loving responsibility to the world. Suddenly, everybody becomes thou. And so if everybody is a thou, somebody sacred and worth of dignity, then I'm, um, I'm seeing everybody as a thou, not an it, it, an object for my own pleasure. So there's a sacredness that comes when people interact with each other. This, you like see God, you glimpse his love for each other, and you glimpse like how we're made to be. We're made to interact in this sacred way that brings transformation to both of the parties involved. So keep all that in mind and we'll kind of talk about like how this works practically. Yeah, so it's interesting that 
um, we may think of that being more relevant to being married, but it's actually just relevant to being human. It's about how do we relate to other people. And when you're married, it's easy to treat your partner as an it. We're going to get into this more detail. It's easy to look at, hey, what can you do for me? How are you serving me? How are you making my life better? How are you making me happy? And when we're not married, it's just the same thing. It's easy to look at other people. What can they do for me? And our culture is so, especially with the over-sexualization of things or the twisting of sexuality, and I think porn is exhibit A, where people become objects that men especially, but both genders, consume for their own needs, so to speak. And it's this complete objectification. I think that if really the impact of, of porn in our culture is greater than we probably realize. Um, we're already, we already tend to objectify people, but that makes it so much worse. So I want to talk about singleness first and really how to live an emotionally healthy single life. And obviously, or I, we had some, well, are we qualified for this? We should have maybe allowed more time and had someone else speak to this. We've been married for 23 years. And that's been, we'll talk more about that. But before that, we were single. And, you know, and also, and all, no matter who we are, we, will, we spend a good chunk of our life as single people. And most likely, at some point, one of us is going to pass away before the other, and we'll be single again. And so we tend to spend more of our life in a state of singleness than we expect, even if we are married. And that, that may be, so it's either a chunk of our life or all of our life. And, but I do want to acknowledge, you know, we, we're speaking, you know, others could maybe speak to this better than we are. So we're speaking from our experience and God's word, but there's, there's more to say, obviously. Um, but we all, there are two kinds of singleness. There's singleness by choice. And that's kind of what, like, the Apostle Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians. That's what's called being a vowed celibate, where you... It's a choice to say, you know, in order to, to serve God, I think this is the way God has called me to serve him. This is the way I choose to serve him with a lifetime of singleness. Now, as Protestants, that's, that's maybe less emphasized. In the Catholic world, that's very much a thing that if you really want to answer God's call, you become a priest or a nun, and that's, that's kind of this vowed celibate idea. But that's something that is not only for Catholics, but a very good option for a lot of people to serve God as singles. And as a vowed celibate, the other way, the other type of singleness is, is not by choice, but for other reasons. Um, and there are a lot of those reasons. But that, in a healthy way, that can be what's called being a dedicated celibate. So you're single, you're celibate, but it's with a purpose, and it's with a dedication to God and to his kingdom. And so I just want to make fruit. We're going to talk about three different uh, aspects of emotional health for singles and then for, for people who are married. First of all, singleness is an exceptional place to experience a top-notch relationship with God. Singleness is a, an exceptional, a really great place to experience a top-notch relationship with God. And later on in, in 1 Corinthians 7, I want to read this. This is Paul is talking about singleness and marriage, and he says this. He says, I would like you to be free from concern, in verse 32. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. 
An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can she ple- how she can please how she can please her husband? I am saying this for your own good. Everyone say that. For your own good. For your own good. Singleness can be a very, very, very good thing. For your own good. Not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So there is a, it is easier to live in undivided devotion to God when you're single than when you're married. Now, we're all called to live holy, wholehearted for God, but there are many ways in which it is easier to do that when you're single. And I am thankful that I um, began living this out as a single person. I remember being, even in high school, um, really having a desire to develop my relationship with God and coming to a place of God, I want to wake up every morning and spend time with you before I go to school. And so I started doing that about halfway through high school. And I also thought, you know, I don't want to, like, for me, I just, I don't want to date right now. I don't see that that going anywhere. I feel like my relationship with God is the most important thing. And I started college and I had thought, you know, I think I'll probably start dating when I start college. But then when I did, I had a similar sense that, you know, no, it's not the time for me that I really need to focus on really developing a relationship with God. And, and that relationship, I continued to get up in the morning. I continued to develop that relationship. And during those years, my relationship with God grew so much. And I learned to get my needs met from him, to, to love him, to receive his love. And really, I, I, and I remember in those years being in a place of, you know, God, I maybe I should be single for my whole life. Like, this is a good life. Like, this is a good way to live. And God, I would be willing to do that. And I, you know, seriously thought that would be a, a, a possibility or something God would be leading me into. Um, so really being single is an incredible opportunity, first of all, to develop our relationship with God in an undistracted, undivided way. So going back to the I-thou um, relationship, so how I see this playing out when you're single is, you know, it's a really good opportunity to learn, like, God values me for me. And really enjoying that, like, learning that I am valuable and I can enjoy God enjoying me. Um, another aspect about being single is, like, learning that um, to treat, like, you kind of realize that maybe I'm treating God like an object. Like, maybe I see God as an it, and I'm treating him like I'm loving him based on what experience can you give me, God? Like, is it a good experience? Then, you know, maybe I'll love you. If it's not a good experience, I'm not so sure about you. And um, it's really like learning to grow, and he is a holy God, and I am worth all his love and attention and um, enjoying, enjoying that. Great. So singleness is also a divine opportunity to grow emotionally and in every way. And this is, this is similar, but really it's a great opportunity in singleness to grow as people, to grow emotionally, and to really get our needs met from God and to become healthy people. One of the most radical verses, I think, in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 6.13, just a chapter earlier from what we're reading. And 
God's word says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And that may be somewhat logical. So, okay, our bodies are for God. But the second phrase, and the Lord for the body. Like, what does that mean? I mean, he's, all, he's talking about sexual immorality and temptation and the, the desire, you know, the, the temptation to indulge in sexual activity that is, that is harmful and not holy. But then he says, the Lord is for the body. And what God is saying here is that every emotional and physical yearning and desire we have can only be fulfilled in a relationship with God. And emotional health comes from getting our needs met from God and growing as emotionally healthy people. And so that is an incredible opportunity that we all have in every place of life, but in a, in a unique way as singles. And, um, you know, if you're going to get married, the more you can experience this and practice this before you get married, the better. It's so easy to think, oh, when I get married, like that person's going to complete me. They're going to make me happy. They're a special something. And that's a recipe for disaster. Because no person can complete us or fulfill us or answer our emotional needs. Only God can in a true sense. And so singleness is an incredible way to grow as people and to experience that. A good way to grow emotionally when you're single is, you know how when you like approach a social setting, like you come to you know, a gathering of people and there's like, you know, insecurities or like, who am I going to talk to? A lot of times we approach like the social gathering as um, people as it's, you know, like what can you do for me when I come and hang out with you? What experience can you provide for me? And we want to place all of the onus on other people. Like, how can you make, you know, me feel great about myself? It's like stroking my ego. Please tell me, you know, please, like, do all this for me. And that's really emotionally unhealthy, right? Even though we do it. We all, you know, do it. Um, it's, it's learning to treat other people as thou instead of, like, how can you emotionally gratify me? You know, I have these needs, and you need to, like, please me. You need to do all this stuff for me. So I feel good about myself, and you talk to me, and you ask me questions, and blah, blah, blah. You get what I'm saying, right? So um, uh, our culture is so... Um, like Jonathan was talking about, we just kind of, the hookup culture, you know, is so that. It's like, how can you gratify my sexual desires? And then we, like, drive separately at night, and we never see each other again. And it's all about what can you do for me sexually? And like John was saying, porn is like, how, how can you satisfy me? Like, how can this, like... Um, woman on the screen look at me with affirmation and desire but I don't have to do anything for her it's just you know all about me and that's so like emotionally shallow and we want to grow as emotionally healthy people who learn to be self-givers um, so when you come to a meeting when you come to social interactions um, it, like having how can I bless you you know like Ann was saying how can I like speak life to you how can I, like, love you? How can I be a blessing to you? Because you are w 
you have value and I want your night as we're hanging out together to be a great night where you you know feel seen and known um, and sorry I just <laughs> was looking at my notes we'd like to ask you guys what can you give us some examples like what are some examples that you see when like this plays out in your everyday life either when you see people as an it or when you see people as a thou. Road rage. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. And you're not thinking like maybe they're late for a meeting and their job depends on it and you know, yeah, you're just thinking like how dare you treat me that way. <laughs> yeah, what other experiences? Telemarketing calls. You want to elaborate? <laughs> okay, yeah. Right, right, like putting your annoyance on them, how dare you call me, and I'm just going to be rude to you to prove to you how awful you are for calling me. Yeah, yeah. What did you say? A waiter or waitress, okay. You want to elaborate on that one? Yeah, okay. Yes. Yes, I am here at this restaurant to be all my emotional needs to be met by a waitress <laughs> in 20 minutes. <laughs> and you, everything has to be absolutely perfect. Okay, I'm guilty of this as I'm talking. <laughs> I'm thinking of a conversation I had with Jeff over there. <laughs> so, yeah, Jeff's not here. Yeah, Kim. Yes. Yes, you are here to meet my, like, paycheck needs. I need to pay my rent. You need to give me, yeah. Yeah, Rob. Yeah, like what Bo and Asia Banner talked about two weeks yeah. ago about like loving somebody is listening to them and spending that time being present. Yeah, good examples. Those are great. We all can identify, right, with being one or the other and like how hard it is to be the I thou, you know, but we all long for it. We want it. Can we hear like one or good example? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a time when someone's treated you as a thou or a way in your world where you could see that really being. Yeah, Gerald.
Yeah, homework helpers. Our oldest son had one classmate in high school who he had no relationship with at all, but he would regularly get calls from him the day before assignments were due <laughs> for help on his homework. <laughs> yeah, so that's another negative I it example. Hey, and I thou, good. That's great. Yeah, you all hear that? Approaching the waiter as a person, their name, attention, yeah. Good, okay, well, yeah, one more. <laughs> yeah wow that's so great I think that's enough for today that's <laughs> that's awesome just I love it how like the need for a hair like I mean I can't really relate all you women can <laughs> I have a need for hair not for anything <laughs> okay <laughs> but there's something so much deeper that really they're looking for yeah, and to, to get in touch with that and love them that way. That's so good. Well, one more aspect of singleness is that singleness can be your loudest gospel message. That in a world that says you have to be a couple to have value, you have to have the right Mr. Right or Mrs. Right or Ms. Right or whatever to be have value, to be able to have value apart from that, and to live for God as a single person is an incredibly powerful, loud proclamation of the gospel in our culture. It's not normal. It's not something people are running across very often. And Jesus said this in Matthew 18, maybe a verse that you've never heard taught on before. I've never talked about it before. But he said, there are eunuchs who were born that way. You know, eunuchs, someone uh, with an issue with their reproductive organs that keeps them from having healthy functioning. So there are eunuchs who were born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. So that would be in, in ancient cultures. A king would have his closest servants would become eunuchs. And so that way, A, they weren't a threat to his wife or wives. And B, they didn't have their own household to take care of. They were fully devoted to that king in, in, the, in the kingdom. So Jesus says, hey, there are eunuchs who have been made, made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. So he's saying, hey, 
to choose to live celibate, to live single for the sake of the kingdom of God, that is a loud proclamation of the gospel. That points to the fact that God is worth it and he is what life is all about. And so there are a lot of ways to do this as a single person. And for the sake of time, we can't do it going to too much. I just want to say a few. How do we live a loud gospel message? One, spend time alone with God. As devoting time to be just a friend with God above all else is and, and so important and powerful in a message. Practice delight. So it's not just like, oh, I have to serve God. I don't have any other options. But it's delighting in God. So it's been one of our themes this summer of emotional health is enjoying doing things, going out to the lake, going out, doing what you enjoy, and enjoying a life full of delight as a single person. Invest in community. So being single doesn't mean you're not communal. doesn't mean you're not social. It's important to invest in community, to invest in relationships, especially cultivating one or two really important relationships and friendships in your life. Practice hospitality regularly. Have people over. And make your home a place of hospitality and a place of, of gathering and people coming over and building friendships, building relationships. And then finally, give yourself fully to your God-given ministry. Figure out, man, what have you put me on earth to do, God? And really focus on giving yourself fully to that. Um, so how can um, being single and having the loudest gospel message, how does this look like f in relation to I Thou? Um, I think it's really important in the workplace to and social settings to treat people as image bearers, you know, what we've been talking about. But I think especially for men, if you go to work and you're single and the pretty single lady is there at your work, treating her as somebody who's sacred and an image bearer of God and somebody holy and not treating her like an object who, and this lady has been objectified her whole life. Let me just tell you, like as a woman in our culture, women are objectified all the time. And so if at her workplace, she sees like this single guy who's treating her with dignity and respect oh my goodness, like that is presenting the gospel. That is presenting like there is another God that I serve. I do not serve like my own sexual pleasure and lust. I serve a God who gave himself fully for me. And so I can treat you with honor and respect. That is going to be like a loud gospel message to this lady. Like, wow, I am treated differently. I don't feel slimed by him. I don't feel like, you know, I'm looking over my shoulder, but I feel safe. I feel like I'm looked at as a person. So, um, you know, it goes the same way for women, but to a less degree. You know, women aren't as overt, but, you know, we do it too in the workplace where we, you know, are looking to the guy do something for me. All right. So we can talk on and on about this. We want to move on to marriage. How do we experience emotional health as married people? Well, marriage... First of all, is a mysterious place. That is for sure. <laughs> I looked up synonyms for mysterious. There's befuddling, 
<laughs> confusing. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> like, there is like, I, who is this person? I, why are they, where are they coming from? I mean, this is a daily, multiple times a day occurrence in our relationship. And I think most married people can attest. We're so different. Um, but it's a mysterious place to love God and receive his love. It's a place to love God and receive his love. Uh, and there's something about, oh, well, in Genesis 2, when, when God made, he made Adam first and then he made Eve, the first woman. And in verse 23 of Genesis 2, it says, The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And you may have heard the old joke that, why did he call her woman? Because like when he saw her, he was like, whoa, man. <laughs> like, there's something about the woman that was like awe-inspiring. And really, there, there's something about the nature of women that inspires wonder. There's something intriguing. There's something mysterious. There's something wondrous about really the pinnacle of creation. The last thing God made was, was the woman. And... That is, the, and there's, in, in, in marriage, there's that awe and wonder of, like, God, you made this person. Wow. Like, my, like, rock brain, like, you know, two-dimensional. Like, there's, I, how is this possible? This is so inspiring. This is so amazing. This is so beyond me. There's something. And marriage, and it works both ways. It's, there's something that opens us up to there's more than who we are that we can see in the other. And it goes on in Genesis 2. He says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And so marriage is this, this gift from God, that God extends his love to, to one person by giving them a gift of a partner who is a gift to them, and then they are designed to be a gift to the other person. And it's, it's easy to, to twist that and to be codependent and looking in an unhealthy way, like to meet my needs, meet my needs, I, I need, I, I need. But in a healthy sense, it's realizing, wow, God, I want to be a gift to this person. I want to give everything I am to this one person for a lifetime. And so that's a place to really to realize how God loves us and to love him. One of those ways is um, becoming becoming vulnerable in marriage. It's a great place to let yourself be seen and known for who you really are, to be vulnerable. It's really easy to put up this front, even in marriage, like love me for this front that I'm giving, or this how I charmed you before we got married is how I have to keep you know, charming you 20 years later. Um, but really like being seen and known and loved despite everything is a great place to learn that God does the same for us. He loves us completely and we don't have to put up this front, you know, for God. And that's true for sex. A lot of times, you know, in a married relationship, we can approach sex as you need to satisfy my needs. I'm not like giving of myself. I want you to just give to me, but it's learning how to be an initiator and a responder, no matter like if you're male or female, but learning that in a, in a marriage, like how God initiates and we respond to his love and we need to learn to initiate and 
So all that is going on in a very vulnerable state. Marriage is also an amazing opportunity, like singleness, to grow emotionally and in every way. Marriage can present lots of opportunities to grow. Now, marriage doesn't guarantee that we grow. It's kind of like people oftentimes think, oh, if I get married, then my lust problem will go away. No, it probably just will get tougher, actually. And your emotional problems won't go away either. <laughs> They'll probably get <laughs> more brought to the surface and tougher. But it's an opportunity to, to learn and to grow. In Genesis 2, again, when before God made the, the woman, it's in Genesis 2.18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And it doesn't say that Adam was lonely. It says it's not good for him to be alone. Adam maybe wasn't lonely, but he wasn't going to be the full him without a partner, without another person. And that's true for all of us. We, it's not good for us to be alone. And we need other people in our life to, to show us what's going on, to bring th things to the surface, to, to encourage us, to propel us on to growth. Um, that's true whether we're married or single, actually. And so it's an incredible gift. I mean, I can say that the greatest source of growth in my life has been this relationship and usually coming through the form of Reagan, usually lovingly, not always, but pointing out the areas of my life that are blind spots, that are weaknesses, that are stupid ways I do things, or inconsiderate ways I do things, or just living less than the way I was made to live. And this person is so helpful to say no. I mean, I remember when we were engaged, she was like, hey, like, we're going to need to talk about these things because if you're not willing to, you know, I'm not going to say, I'm, I, there needs to be at least, it wasn't like, hey, well, it kind of was like jump through some hoops. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, if you're not willing to listen and learn, then it's off. Like, I'm not going to move forward with this. And I'm glad she was like that. But once, but that has continued in, a, in I think, mostly a healthy way. And I'm so glad for it. <laughs> jumping through so <laughs> yeah I think it's easy you know when we're married to somebody so different from us to see like you are an it you are not a thou you are an it like I don't understand you and or also like I'm so familiar with you you're an it <laughs> you're kind of boring we know I know how you're, what you're gonna say you know we get critical of this it and we're not like you are created like there's God in you like there's like this cosmos in you that I need to discover um, you know we just take each other for granted you know it's interesting of course whenever like I speak I'm always like head-on face-to-face with an issue in my life I need to repent of before I come up here, you know, of course, all the time. So yesterday we were driving back from our family reunion, and shout-out to our family in the back. Please meet them, Debbie and Mary Hupp. Um, so we have four cars in our family, five. We have one and a half cars that have air conditioning. 
for all five cars. It's absolutely ridiculous. Of course, yesterday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, we had to drive home from Mayetta, Kansas, an hour and a half away, and one of those cars was no air conditioning. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, why didn't Jonathan get this fixed? I can't believe I have to do this. I have to, like, drive in the heat with all the windows down and all our kids in the car, and, like, it's going to be miserable, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm treating him as an it. And, like, I have to speak about this tomorrow. But I found myself, like, he's an it. He, what has he done for me? He has not made my life comfortable. I have to have air conditioning all the time, or else I will die. <laughs> and, like, so I want to blame him. Like, he, you know, is a source of my problems. He, and then I realized, okay, no, like, God, I repent of that. I really do. He's a thou who has a busy schedule and isn't choosing to make my life miserable. It's just like, this is just, th things break down. And once I considered him as a thou, then instead of blaming him, I was forced to take responsibility for my heart and what was going on in me. Okay, I can be a big girl about this. I choose to take responsibility. I choose to like, be happy, <laughs> you know, like, I can be strong, I can, like, handle this, I mean, this is so pathetic that this is, like, an issue, <laughs> but it really was, <laughs> yeah, you know, so it's, like, learning to, like, grow emotionally, like, I'm going to take, I'm going to take ownership of my stuff, I'm not going to look to him to blame him for everything, I'm going to grow and, like, be responsible and, you know, learn to, like, God is enough. God can meet me in this place. And I'm not looking to John then to have to, like, meet me in all my, like, idiosyncrasies, whatever that word is. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Let's keep doing this. It's a good idea. I love it. And finally, marriage, just like singleness, can be our loudest gospel, me our loudest gospel message. And Ephesians 5 is a whole passage about husbands and wives and how they relate to one another. And I just want to jump to the end of this in, in verse 32. It says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So he's talking about husbands, lay down your, your lives for your wives and listen to one another and respect one another. And just as Christ loved the church, that's what marriage is actually a picture of. And that's really deep, deeper than any of us grasp, that God's relationship to us, to people, to his chosen people, the church, is a marriage. He's chosen us as his bride, and the pinnacle, the end point of history is going to be this, this wedding feast of Jesus and the church coming together as one. And it's easy for, it's easy for me to think, oh, I need to be busy with all the other ways I'm serving God and kind of take Reagan for granted because she's so great and she's going to be okay and she's going to take care of it and be like busy about trying to help other people elsewhere. But actually, our relationship and the way we interact is the best opportunity we have to be a witness and to bring something into the world that shows the heart of God. And the more we can be faithful, the more we can be devoted to one another, the more we can be honoring to each other, the more we can 
lift each other up and help help each other grow and seek the best for one another. The more we, we cheer for each other, the more one we are. And that's really what the mystery is it's talking about here in Ephesians 5. It's, it's, it's talking about the two will become one. And that's what's happening with Jesus and the church. The two are becoming one. The more one we are, that is our loudest gospel message. And so after Christ, our marriage, for those of us who are married, should be our greatest ambition, our greatest passion, our greatest priority. It's the most important thing we bring to the world. I don't have much to add to this. Um, I totally agree. I keep thinking of the word devoted. And forgive me, Aaron, I'm going to tell a story on you. I hope it's okay. The other Sunday, I saw Aaron and Jeff kiss each other goodbye after church. They were going, I don't know, go separate ways. And it kind of stuck out to me, like this picture of like, it was just, you know, this sweet kiss. And I love you, you know, I'm for you, I'm devoted to you. You're my one. You know, there's no others. You're my one. And it just kind of, you know, it was good to see. You know, it was good to see, like, uh, that's a good thing. You know, it's a good thing for people to, like, be devoted to one another and say, like, we're in this together. And like Jesus said, it's, you know, Jesus and us. He's devoted for us. He's, you, we are his, and there is no other, and he's for our good. Yeah. So we know it's a lot of food for thought. And I trust today is that there are going to be different things that stick out with each one of us that you can take and really run with and align your life with the God's purpose for singleness or marriage. Um, we're going to do, we're going to have a prayer for our singleness and a prayer for our marriage that we're going to pray out together. But before we do that, I just want to ask, probably just have time for one or two, but are there any questions that any of us have about singleness and marriage and emotional health. <laughs> why didn't I think about <laughs> why are we going to ask these questions? <laughs> That's a good question. What do you do when you don't feel loved anymore in your marriage? You're not, f you're not feeling that you're being, that you're loved. Yes, or yes. Uh huh. Yeah. So, you know, great question. I, I, my thoughts are number one, when I feel that way, the most important thing that turns it around is when I go to God in that place and come with those feelings to God and say, God, this is just how I'm feeling. And I want to remember you're my, you're my, you're my source. Yeah. Groom, my bride. I mean, it's, it's kind of weak. It's weird, but that seems weird, but it's not like actually those desires in us are ultimately to be met in God. And so it's a time to really come to God and draw near to him. Um, I think it's also a chance to ask ourselves, how am I, how am I loving my partner? And man, am I loving them well? And how can I be intentional about loving them well? And then I think it's also a chance to have an honest conversation with your spouse 
and say, hey, I honestly just, I'm feeling distant. I mean, that's, that's a common, that's, a, that's something we talk about all frequently, or it comes up. Hey, we just kind of feel like there's some space. We feel like there's this distance, okay? And just talking about it. Oh, man, we don't want that. Okay, let's, let's, let's come back together. But I feel this way. I'm feeling unloved. This, you did this. You're not doing this. It would, I would appreciate it. I would feel loved if you would do that. And that's, I think, honest communication. Now, if they don't listen, go back to step one and, you know, repeat the cycle. Those are my thoughts. <laughs> that's because you've never felt unloved. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now I'm single again. <laughs> All right, Aja. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Do you want to? <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, people, the answer to, and I'll just talk mostly about physical loss because I think that's the most obvious. Um, and I think the others are probably true too. But it's not the thing that we need is not sex. The thing that will take away that the what sex speaks to is not just physical needs. It's speaking to the deepest yearnings and desires in our hearts. And that's how God made us. And that's and I think it's almost cruel that I mean I it's not cruel, but it when I think about God, you really set it up this way that we have such strong desires. And it's so intense. And sexuality, it's so intense. And then God's commandments are so clear. Like, there is no appropriate way to live that out except in a devoted marriage with one man and one woman loving each other. Like, it's impossible. And it really is. Like, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we sin in this way. In the first place, Adam and Eve felt their sin they made loin coverings. They, they felt ashamed in their sexuality. They felt something was broken in that part of them. And so, the, but God has set it up that way because we are made for relationship with him above everything else. And that, those desires, those yearnings, those longings are designed to draw us to God and to draw us in those places of greatest need, greatest desire, greatest passion, they're designed to draw us to a place of relationship with him. And so in singleness, is, it's much easier to, to get a significant level of victory in those areas and learn to have, to have God be the answer to those yearnings as a single person. Um, and actually, I know in my life, I, by the grace of God, that happened pretty really well as a single person. I was not, lust was not an issue for me as a single person. Um, I mean, there, there had been sin along the way, but I had came to a place where I was doing just fine, really. I mean, you know, it was, and I think that is a normal testimony I've heard from person after person. It's often a progression in a battle, and it's always <laughs> a progression in a battle. Um, 
But when you get married, it's, it's easier to just shut that door on sex and say, nope, there's no, there, nothing is appropriate right now. There's nothing that is in bounds. And so just shut that door. Don't think about it. Just love God and serve him. But when you get married, you, you open the door to sexuality and you're loving someone sexually, but that it's then you have to learn how to manage those that well. It's easier f for that to become then um, about you and your gratification. And you have, it's harder to, to have a fire and keep it in the fireplace than to just not have a fire at all kind of thing. So is that, um, I know there's more I could talk about. Um, but it goes back to the same thing that when we're married, it's still going to God. It's still going to God for our deepest yearnings, our deepest needs, our deepest longings to be the one who completes us. And then out of that, as we're being filled up from him, loving our partner well, not, not being a leech off of them, but loving them well. So it's a good thing. All right, one more question. Yeah, uh, I think so. Did you hear the question Punia said? Is it, are there times for a moment of singleness, as she said it? Paul, in this passage, he says, in Corinthians, he tells husbands and wives, don't, uh, don't abstain from physical relationship except for a season to devote yourselves to prayer. So he's saying there are, I think in that he's saying there are times to really have times devoted to prayer, maybe retreats, you know, and so, yes, I would say that's true. I think it's healthy. Sometimes it's good to, in our experience, to go on a trip. Or you, it's important to have a life, to have other friends, and to have your relationship with God. And sometimes you need focus times for that as married people to make sh to get be in the right place and come back to your marriage in a good way. Yeah, it's good. All right, we'll be happy to talk uh, more afterwards if you have any questions. Um, let's just. There are these prayers that are, they're, they're from the Emotionally Healthy Leadership book, actually, but I thought these were great prayers. The first one is a prayer for singles, and we're just going to read this out loud, and even if you're, whether you're single or married, let's just pray this. If you're single and you want to pray this for yourself, we'll pray it together. If you're married and you want to stand with those that are single, you can read it out loud, and then we're going to do the same thing for, for married couples. All right? Can you all read that? Okay. Okay. And then um, I'll just also mention there are handouts on your tables, and that's not the prayer, but that is kind of a, like, uh, assessment for where you're at in your emotional health as, as a single or as a married person, and that's for you to take home and do on your own. Actually, and actually at our community groups this week, we're not going to talk about this exactly, we're talking more about what's called climbing the ladder of integrity. That's it's about it's related. It's about healthy communication and expressing your 
uh, your needs and your desires and what you're feeling to somebody else. So it applies to marriage, but it applies to singleness and all our relationships too. So anyway, that's coming up this week. Um, prayer for singles. Lord, grant me the strength to answer your call, to be a living sign of your love. Make my love for others today reflect your love for me. Loyal, faithful, unconditional, and life-giving. May I be present to others as you are to me, so that all the world can see your presence manifested in my tender love for others. Help me stay close to you in the body of Christ and continue to nourish my love with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's um, pray this out loud for married couples. Lord, grant me the strength to answer your call to be a living sign of your love. Make my love for, be like your love for passionate, fervent, <laughs> intimate, unconditional, and life-giving. <laughs> I was confused with the him, her. <laughs> May I be present to Jonathan as you are to him so that all the world can see your presence manifested in our tender love for one another. Help us both to stay close to you in the body of Christ and continue to nourish our love with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>